welcome to episode number 16 of the Sustainably Eco podcast. My name is Jeff Hendry and I'll be your host for the next 30 minutes or so. This month's episode is all about innovation. Earlier this month, I spoke with Morgan Wyatt, founder of Greenlid, a Canadian company specializing in compostable products that are poised to replace single-use plastics. Coincidentally, my other guest is also named Morgan, Morgan Letnin, founder of MyCelloTech, a Kingston-based company working to make industrial wastewater contamination in our water systems a problem of the past. This episode is sponsored by SnapCab. Since 1983, SnapCab has been a leader in developing workspace privacy pod solutions and elevator cab interiors that are flexible, high quality, and safe to use in a variety of environments. A Sustainably.eco member, SnapCab is a company that embraces and practices the principles of lean manufacturing, a method that focuses on overall waste reduction. For more information, please visit snapcab.com. I had a great conversation with Morgan Wyatt, founder of Greenlid. The company got off the ground in 2014, making truly compostable, sustainable products that are safe alternatives to single-use plastics. You may have seen them on CBC's Dragon's Den, where they successfully pitched their compostable kitchen food waste bin. We talked about the technology, the problem with greenwashing, the pandemic, and what's in store with more single-use plastic bans around the corner. Here's my conversation with Morgan Wyatt. Morgan Wyatt, thanks so much for doing this. No problem. Thanks for having me. So maybe we could begin by talking a bit about the term compostable. And there are different uh, products in the market that have that, that use that term. The, what does compostable mean for Greenlid? Yeah, so at Greenlid, we try to actually think about compostability by kind of the practicality of whether it can be composted or not. So can a facility actually compost in the time period that they they do their, their composting on? Can it be does it look like compost like, or does it look like a plastic so that it has to be sorted out by facilities? And can you really home compost it? So it's not about being certified compostable. It's really the practicality of, of will it get through the system and not, not wreck, I guess, the, the compost process. Right. So do we need to um, change our, this, does the certification process need to change in your opinion? Yeah, so um, we've been working a lot with some of the the ideas around certified compostable, and so really the it's based a lot of on these ASTM standards that were actually developed by the chemical companies who invented compostable plastics without consultation with the people that are actually processing it at the facilities. So we believe in kind of like a a partnership approach where we meet all sorts of chemical standards and we review all these products, but we really should be testing and working with the facilities to ensure that the products aren't just theoretically compostable in a lab, but actually um, work well in their process, create high quality compost and um, add add value to the waste stream. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, the pandemic obviously has had a big impact on the food and beverage industry. Um, how has it changed your outlook for the future of disposable products, in, in your case, compostable disposable products? Well, we, we've seen like a, a big shift. I think people just actually getting a lot of takeaway in their home. You start to see all the, the waste that builds up in your home, especially with like the styrofoams and plastics, whereas a lot of the times you might have got them outside at work and throw them, throw them somewhere else and it kind of builds up there. So I think it's in people's minds about how much waste we're generating and seeing kind of a more natural material and compostables or even 100% recyclable products is, is pretty important for most consumers now. 
I guess the renewable piece is interesting to me. I mean, how does that, how do, do, do your products, uh, I guess, interplay with, with the, the goal of increasing the amount of renewable cups and, and takeaway containers and all that stuff? Yeah, we hope to be like more of a circular economy. So if we actually produce a product, we want it to kind of reconsider what goes into it, how long people use it for and where it ends up. And so we're actually trying to move to like more non-wood based kind of disposables um, that are actually renewable. So if we're going wheat fiber or, or let's say hemp fiber type uh, products that um, we can actually uh, grow these pretty locally manufacture them here and actually then use that compost back on the field. So it really is a circular economy for um, disposables. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I was reading a, another interview in which um, you, you spoke about greenwashing in the industry. Uh, and I guess maybe this this relates back to our question about certification. But is there is there a trust issue with compostable products? Um, and how do you how do you get past that? I, I think it's a uh, with the people making the decisions at a food service or a retailer to even offer us these these products to begin with, I think it's a kind of a, a black box and it's not that not everyone's been fully educated. Composting is relatively new to a lot of people. And I think in the past, because compostability was based on these compostable plastics, a lot of these got put into the system. And then um, there was some backlash uh, from like expose showing that a lot of this compostable plastic still ends up in landfill. And so the kind of the PR outcomes for some of these major retailers and food service companies makes it a really risky space to make, make claims around compostability. And we saw it sometimes with those coffee pods that were compostable, supposedly compostable, but they really practically aren't. And, And this is not what um, these major retailers want to do. They're not trying to pull fast ones on us. They just don't have all, all the information. And that's where we try to bridge the gap by educating about composting and also talk to the facilities about the kind of consumer and customer needs in, in this space. Mm-hmm. Is the municipal nature of waste collection a challenge for the business? And I was in Saskatoon earlier this summer and they don't have a home, a home compost program like we do here in Kingston, Ontario. Um, it, What's is that a challenge from either like from a business or a marketing standpoint? Uh, and and I guess my other sort of follow up question would be: uh, is, is it your hope that just with more of these products in the market, it might actually drive some of these municipalities to adapt to to adopt home co- composting? Yeah, I think I think it's important. Like we like to think of ourselves a responsible producer, but I think everybody who's producing any product, whether it's compostable or not, thinks about the lifetime of their product and and where it ends up. And I think too often um, companies before have been kind of passing the responsibilities, so that all of a sudden it lands in a municipal waste collection, and they're the ones having to pay for it. Um, and so it's important for us to actually think about the technology and extended producer responsibility for if we're going to make these products and the technology doesn't exist to let's say compost them, then we should be working with the facilities to actually provide that infrastructure or provide places like Saskatoon um, with, with the ability to actually handle, handle these types of products that we're actually making. Mm -hmm. And what innovations either in your industry or a related one are you most excited about? Um, I am really into non-wood based uh, technologies and, and fiber and, and other materials, I think there's going, we can't keep chopping down trees. Um, there's a lot of uh, even corrugate boxes that go out there. Like we can only recycle those so many times. And and I think with all this 
um, online ordering and all this paper and more people, we need to think about crops that are, are very much more renewable and, and locally sourced. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of push towards getting rid of some of these plastic type materials like polypropylene, like PPE equipment that's kind of like a plastic, but it looks it feels like a, a fabric to actually stuff that is actually more renewable and doesn't like just keep polluting our environment. Mm-hmm. And are there, how, how is that, uh, how are some of these new technologies impacted your business, I guess, in the last couple of years? Like, is, are there some of these that you've adopted recently? Well, we are actually doing a lot. We do a lot of R&D on the side. So I, I try to take a big problem plastics and look at the manufacturing end products. And we try to work and fit uh, new technologies into existing manufacturing processes. So whether whether it's kind of like this PPE stuff or or even corrugate, let's let's think about different ways to actually attack the problem, um, not start kind of uh, develop the technology and force it out there, take what we have here and try to find uh, a better solution to, as inputs um, for these some of these locally made products. The term sustainable consumerism, what, what does that mean to you? I, th- I think it's about the responsibility of it so that when we're actually making it, it shouldn't just, after you finish using it, like a fork or a, or a straw that it lasts for the next 500 years. We need to think about like, if you touch a fork for five minutes for a takeaway and it lasts for 500 years, do we really need that fork or do we need to think about other things? I think that on the consumerism level, I think we should take it a step above it. And um, I even suggest to some retailers or food service, like let's eliminate some of these problem plastics and just not offer it to people. It shouldn't be up to us to make these small choices when one person can decide to eliminate styrofoam or plastic cutlery straight from their their offering. So we don't even have a choice. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, um, this has been great, Morgan. I really appreciate uh, chatting today. It's um, it's a really exciting company, and and uh, uh, we're you know we're all excited about these new developments. And and um, if folks want to learn more about Greenlid, where should they go? Yeah, they can go to our website or Instagram, but it's uh, www.mygreenlid.com. We have also some many videos about different materials, about different additives that we've developed to make things actually more sustainable. So it's a really good education resource. Um, You can find our products there, but I would say it's really an education resource first. And then if uh, people want to purchase products, we also have them available there. Great. Well, thanks again. And I hope hope to have you back on the show at a later time. Yeah, thank you very much. I hope to as well. This episode is also sponsored by J.E. Agnew Food Services Limited. Winner of the 2019 Sustainably.ego Engagement Award, J.E. Agnew Food Service has demonstrated an industry-leading dedication to sustainability and community involvement. A Sustainably.ego member, J.E. Agnew Food Services is committed to reducing the carbon footprint at their administrative office, as well as in each of the 14 Tim Hortons restaurants they operate in the Kingston area. I also spoke this month with Morgan Lettinen, founder and CEO of MyCelloTech. The company was founded in January of this year and is dedicated to making a positive impact in the wastewater treatment sector. We talked about her research, the development of the smart filter, and how it can help in the fight against climate change. Here's my conversation with Morgan Lettinen.
Morgan, what motivated you to tackle industrial wastewater contamination? So it wasn't a uh, kind of straight path, and I'd never woke up as a kid going, you know, this is the problem I want to tackle. But water and the environment were always things very present in my life. And, and going through my education, going to do a bachelor's of chemistry degree, it was kind of this path of trying to figure out where I wanted to go. And kind of it always came down and boiled down to something within the environment. I think my, my generation really saw um, a lot of environmental issues happening and born kind of the mid-90s. We've seen oil spills, which this and that. And eventually it was in my fourth year of my undergraduate degree and we had to do a research project. And my uh, the professor that I now work with in my PhD and who is the technical director of our company, my fellow tech, had this cool idea for a new filtration technology with the ideal ending mission to clean oil spills um, and other kind of associated applications. And I fell in love with the project right away and spent the next five years of my life kind of developing this technology with a bunch of other um, very talented students as well and kind of realized over this whole journey how big of an issue, specifically industrial wastewater contamination, and it's really behind closed doors is something that is not spoken about. I found a lot before this. We hear about oil spills. We hear about the, the oil and gas industry, but there's a statistic that quite surprised me, and it was each year more oily waste ends up in our water system than from Deepwater Horizon, the largest oil spill in history, and hundreds of millions of liters, which actually relates to over 300 Olympic-sized swimming pool amounts of oily waste that ends wow. up in our water system. And this is it's just from, you know, inadequate protocols and kind of hidden dumpings and, and treatments that are not um, not really regulated. And I saw this problem and I went, this technology that we've developed is really perfectly suited to be able to help solve this problem some way. And that was kind of where the, the world um, came together and uh, are kind of where I, I am taking next with, uh, with my fellow tech and, and where we're going now. That's great. And could you ex- explain how the smart filter technology works? Um, I am I do not have a science background, but uh, if you can sort of talk a bit about sort of the nuts and bolts of what, maybe why this is different than previous processes. Sure. So the, the smart filter technology itself is based on what we call an asymmetric filter. So it is a, a substrate that is coated with two different materials on either side. It allows us to separate um, oil and water emulsion. So my favorite way to explain kind of an emulsion is so most people think, you know, why do you need to separate oil and water? You go back to your, you know, high school chemistry and oil and water don't mix. Um, but when you add something or an emulsifier or a surfactant, they become a an, an stable emulsion and are really difficult to separate. And these, these surfactants that are, that are present, um, all different industries are either man-made or um, naturally occurring organisms that make this oily waste really trapped into, into our water. And from that, the issue with that is that the current technologies to separate these, these oily um, wastewater emulsions uh, are very you know, high energy, um, require you know, dumping all kinds of hazardous chemicals to destabilize the emulsions and, and are really not, um, not environmentally conscious. So with our technology, we created a way to separate these um, these emulsions um, kind of universally, any any type that that's available, without the use of external energy or additives. So it's a process just based on the filter that we make itself, um, and that's something that we would then uh, couple with other um, technologies in the process to make a full solution to recycle and help um, with the disposal processes in, in industry. 
Right. So it sounds like you're reducing greenhouse gases by less energy being used to clean the water, and then the water itself is cleaner. So it's it sounds like it's sort of a kill per, two, kill two birds with one stone solution. Absolutely. Yes. So the process itself will be will be um, I said lower environmental impact. But then also with our technology, we're able to get a higher efficiency of separation than a lot of the technologies that are, are currently used. So not only will um, you know the end user of the plant save uh, on you know actually their, their usage or their operating costs of the machine itself, they're actually able to recycle a lot of value added materials that are within their wastewater to reuse those, kind of create this circular process, and then also have cleaner water. They're decreases, they're um, improving the quality of what's ending up in the, in their disposal stream. Great. And where is um, Micello Tech right now as a, as a company? I know you founded in January of this year, and obviously there was lots of work that went into the technology before that. What's, what's, what's the update right now? Right. So um, we, we kind of start from the beginning. It was a, it's been about five years in development and validation of the technology in the lab. And now we are at the point where we've spent this time really figuring out where is place that we can make the biggest impact and, and start out um, with a really uh, application that, that has a problem that needs to be solved. So we're, we've been doing a ton of work and kind of creating some partnerships within the metal manufacturing, so metal fabrication and production. Um, that's everything from tool and dye to automotive to aerospace. Um, and we're lucky that there's lots of um, great connections here in Kingston that we've been able to utilize um, and take that and now partner up with an engineering firm here in Kingston called Kingston Process Metallurgy through their KPM Accelerate program, which is a really cool uh, new new initiative for chemical technology companies in Kingston or in, in Canada and, and North America as, as they grow. And they're helping us take our lab bench scale technology where we're using hundreds of milliliters of wastewater and build that out to a, a kind of working pilot that we can then um, go develop and kind of work alongside with our end users to create something that is is going to be full scale and able to work on their plant. So in the next kind of six months, we're finishing up kind of getting all of the, everything together there and really designing our pilot so that we can go um, on the fun route of looking for internal external investments to, uh, to get the funds to make that happen. Great. And, and beyond the, the obviously the challenge of getting investment, what are some other barriers that you faced before getting this technology widely adopted? Right. So I'd say I'd split it. There's kind of two. The first would be, I'm going to say it's more of a technical um, challenge, which I'll start with first, is though, you know, we've created this technology that we say is, is universal, every wastewater stream, every composition of wastewater is a little bit different depending on, you know, what kind of bacteria is in there, what kind of solids or sludge or all the other kind of gunk that ends up in there, that though we create a technology that is really great at one thing, there are other um, portions that we are happy to enter and kind of bring into the process, be able to work on all kinds of different wastewater. So that's something that we are always in the back of our mind of figuring out how do we make this as useful for as many applications as possible, but then also knowing where to focus and really make the biggest impact first as we iterate along the way. And then the kind of in the sort of more ecosystem challenge, which is, overcoming this uh, kind of valley of death, as they call it, in the in this commercialization path between kind of where we were earlier in the year when academic grants kind of stop. You, you can't receive the funding from, um, from the, the academic way anymore in, in the research lab, and you need to find ways 
you know, from your investors to, who want revenue and they want to see a full product ready to make that happen for a, a company that is, is early stage is, uh, is difficult. But I hopefully with our, our connection here with KPM Accelerate, that's really helping that challenge. But it's something still that uh, will always be, be difficult as that's moving forward. Right. Well, it sounds like you're well on your way. Um, now, beyond the chemical solutions to industrial wastewater, what else needs to be done? Like, what have you sort of, what have you seen in the industry that you, that makes you shake your head? It, it was surprising to me of, you know, people really get um, kind of used to the status quo and a lot of the methodologies and the things that have been, that I've seen um, talking to, you know, tons of different, uh, different kind of professionals in the industry now is that a lot of things have stayed the same. For a long period of time, technologies that are being used in some cases are 20 plus years old. And it's interesting that there's so much innovation out there um, and they're not always fully commercialized. And you know, that could be a whole other discussion on why those things don't happen. But I really think, and, and our team kind of really thinks that it's this we need to show the balance of how it can be an environmental incentive and really show how that can and balance it with um, proving to the customers and users that it can also be an economic benefit as well. And partnering those those two up, and maybe that's through having you know some uh, more governmental kind of um, initiatives to be able to, or incentives for companies to be able to to go this way, or increasing some of the fines. Though we don't want to be be negative, but there are a lot of places where fines need to be strengthened, and that kind of um, uh, really you know, hammering on the nail to to make these to stop the improper practices. So I think they kind of have to take a holistic approach, but the biggest one. I see right now is we need to show that innovation can help both economically and environmentally um, move forward uh, into the future because it will be beneficial for all of us. Is there a technology like this that's being used elsewhere that you feel is, is a good model for what you're doing? Obviously, what you're doing is unique, but um, is, there, is there a country or uh, an industry that's that's ahead of the curve on this? Yeah, I, I would say definitely um, when you look at kind of a, a, a global and take a step back and said, you know, the, the European countries and specifically kind of in the Scandinavian countries are, are quite a bit forward in their, in their just waste processes in, in general. Um, and I think this is looking kind of a trend. There's a couple kind of companies that we sort of monitor and that are doing this, maybe not in our specific industry, but are really bringing that circular process into other lagging industries. So food processing and, um, and kind of chemical processing is there's some, some really interesting new technologies coming in there. Um, so we're kind of trying to follow along those way and but make our impact in, in kind of a, um, a complementary industry. So ideally we can all you know, kind of work together, but definitely the kind of Scandinavian area is, uh, is really um, going forward in, in the water space. Great. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Morgan. This is great. And I wish you all the best with uh, my cello tech. Um, if folks wanted to learn more about the, uh, the company and uh, what you're working on, how would they, how would they do that? Sure. So our, our website is www.mycellotech.com. That's M-I-C-E-L-L-O-T-E-C-H. Um, or always happy to uh, either connect with me on LinkedIn or you can find my email on there. Our team is always happy to, to chat. And if any specifically um, kind of in that metal manufacturing industry want to to share your problems. We are already always going to listen and we're now testing and, and we're always looking for partners to help uh, provide us some of your waste. We'll take it away for free to uh, to test and um, and help our technology get, it, get better and, and grow. 
Well, that's great. Well, thanks again for doing this. Yes, thanks so much. Have a great day. That concludes the innovation episode of the Sustainably.eco podcast. Thanks for listening. For more information about Sustainably.eco, please visit Sustainably.eco or SustainableKingston.com. This podcast and its music is written and produced by Jeff Hendry. That's me.